Where's Mata? Mata, where are you? Mata, Mata, Mata. All together now. Mata, where are you? hold the mic because I'm really jittery and I haven't even had coffee. <laughs> I know. It's for after. Um, right. So I want to point out that this is all Josiah's fault in the best way possible. No. I've got water. Um, Josiah preached a couple months ago and uh, it was awesome. And Dick comes up to me probably the next day, and he goes, what did you think of Josiah's teaching? And I was like, oh, it was awesome. He's like, when are you going to go up there? And I went, ah, oh, I don't know. I'll see you later. So the next week, he goes, what did you think of Josiah's teaching? And I'm like, he's not forgetful. He knows what he's doing. I'm like, oh, I don't know. But... Um, I want to kind of give you a little intro as to how I came about this. Um, for the past couple years, I've been taking School Kingdom ministry classes. I've been in second year. I've been in third year. I might be in my fourth year. <laughs> um, and we're currently in a book called God's Secrets, and it's by Sean Bowles. And it's all about um, word of knowledge and uh, prophetic ministry and how you get those. And um, one of those uh, ways is called an impression. It's a knowing. It's a, it can be visual. Um, and uh, a few months ago... <laughs> a few months ago, uh, during worship, I saw this word, um, and it was Isaiah. And as I saw the word, I saw 36.10, and I thought, this is it. I mean, I don't, I don't go through the Old Testament often, so um, the fact that I was able to go into my Bible app and on my phone and scroll through, and I was like, there's an Isaiah 36.10. This is amazing. This is awesome. This is what I'm going to share in front of the church. Um, and so I, I scrolled through. I got it, and this is what it said. What's more, do you think we have invaded your land without the Lord's direction? The Lord himself told us, attack this land and destroy it. I, thanks, God. I'll put that in my back pocket for later. I, I had no, no scripture meaning context, and I thought, well, I didn't forget it because it I knew it was something from God, but I just I kept it for later. Um, and that week, I just started dissecting that scripture over and over again. And then I started taking um, what uh, I think it's Bill Johnson and um, Randy Clark called the Berean approach. And I started researching. So it was that verse it just started with. And then it went to the beginning of that chapter. And then it, I realized it was about Hezekiah. So I started reading all about Hezekiah and the chapters in Isaiah that um, engulf his story. And then I realized that his story is within three different books in the Bible, and I thought, this has to be significant. Um, so 
what I learned, and if there's anything that I found in this research about Hezekiah, um, is that God is so involved in our life. He has a master plan. There isn't a choice that you can make that doesn't change what he has in store for us. Um, he's there in every season, uh, the small and the big things. So I'm going to give you a little background as to um, prior, during, and after Hezekiah's reign. Israel is an absolute mess. Um, they're overrun with idolatry, pagan worship, child sacrifices. Um, I, uh, Israel has been under attack by an Assyrian king for years. Um, each Assyrian king has been attacking all of Israel, the surrounding nations. Um, and Israel is consistently failing to obey God's law, uh, which results in immediate punishment, and which also reminds me why I'm so thankful that I live in the New Testament where there is so much grace. Some of the things that I wanted to share about Hezekiah specifically is Hezekiah means God is my strength, which is so relevant in his um, life events. Um, as I mentioned, he is recorded in the Bible, three different books. Um, and if you're writing these down or if you're taking notes, um, his story is in Isaiah 36 through 40, 2 Kings 18 through 20, and 2 Chronicles 29 through 32. And I highly suggest reading all of these because as much as you know, I'll say here today, there's so much more context and detail that each book individually gives to his life and who he was. Um, it really shows a great picture of how Hezekiah was favored. He was successful. He made mistakes. He restored favor with God. He doubted God. He beseeched God, um, encouraged his people, and was completely frightened. It is a picture of who we can be in our everyday life and relationship with God. Um, Second Kings specifically talks about how Hezekiah was right with God. His reign was significant because from day one, he chose to destroy all the altars and shrines of pagan worship that had been lifted up. He rebuilt the Lord's temple that, that was previously destroyed in his father's reign. Um, and there's no record of why Hezekiah chose the lifestyle he did. Um, only that in 2 Kings it states in verses 5 and 7, he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, and there was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before or after his time. So the Lord was with him, and Hezekiah was successful in everything he did. Um, I wanted to start off in Isaiah 36. Um, and it begins with the king of Assyria, Sennacherib? Sennacherib, okay. <laughs> the king of Assyria um, had been attacking the lands in Israel, and he was at Hezekiah's doorstep to his kingdom in Judah. Um, and this is where all the drama begins. Uh, so the king of Assyria sends a message to all of Judah. So everyone's listening, not just Hezekiah, but his people as well. And he says, this is what the great king of Assyria says. What are you trusting in that makes you so confident? Do you think that mere words can substitute for military skill and strength? Who are you counting on that you have rebelled against me? But perhaps you will say to me, we are trusting in the Lord our God. 
But isn't he the one who was insulted by Hezekiah? Didn't Hezekiah tear down his shrines and altars and make everyone in Judah and Jerusalem worship only at one altar here in Jerusalem? What's more, do you think we have invaded your land without the Lord's direction? The Lord himself told us, attack this land and destroy it. They're outnumbered, they're outranked, and consistently reminded that there is no hope. The enemy is always trying to push fear into the hearts of people. Assyria is telling half-truths. Correct, no other god has saved the other kingdoms from destruction of Assyria. It is correct that it won't be Hezekiah who rescues Judah. Only the Lord would deliver them from Assyria. Assyria is trying to corrupt the people's faith in God and to doubt in Hezekiah. And Assyria assumes that the Lord wants them to conquer Judah as well. And I was awed by the king's confidence in his original statement in Isaiah 36.10 that I had the impression of, um, of how he just assumed that the Lord wanted him to, to invade this land. Um, and in 2 Kings 20, got my pink sticky note to help me get there faster. This is why the king was so confident. The Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel. He punished them by handing them over to their attackers until he had banished Israel from his presence. Living in the Old Testament, you disobey, you receive punishment. Living in our New Testament, we disobey, but there's grace. The sin of the people, their choices separated them from God. Sennacherib is under the impression that Hezekiah's angered God to have removed all idol worship and restored the Lord's temple, when in fact, it was what God loved about Hezekiah. He restored Judah to what it should be, and why there is favor in Hezekiah's efforts. Sennacherib is aware of who God is. He's acknowledged God leading the attack on Israel. But he doesn't have the mind of Christ. He doesn't understand God's inner workings. Today, that would be the equivalent of us not having the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.10 states, For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. Sincherib is not in tune with God's plan, but he will find out what it is under God's terms. Hezekiah is panicked and asked the prophet Isaiah, what can you do? Speak to your God. Isaiah gives God's response and says that God will move against Assyria and that the king will return home and be killed by a sword. Sennacherib continues to send threats to Judah, saying, This message is for King Hezekiah of Judah. Don't let your God in whom you trust deceive you with promises that Jerusalem will not be captured by the king of Assyria. You know perfectly well that the kings of Assyria have done where, what they have done wherever they have gone. They have completely destroyed everyone who stood in their way. Why should you be any different? In uh, Isaiah 37, 
18 through 20, I love Hezekiah's prayer because it reveals truth of all the lies that the king of Assyria is trying to place in the minds of Judah. It is true, Lord, that the kings of Assyria have destroyed all these nations, and they have thrown the gods of the nations into the fire and burned them. But of course the Assyrians could destroy them. They were not gods at all, only idols of wood and stone shaped by human hands. Now, O Lord, our God, rescue us from his power. Then all the kingdoms of the earth will know that you alone, O Lord, are God. In Hezekiah's initial prayer to Isaiah, he said, what can your God do for us? And then his second prayer completely changed when he's backed into a corner and has no, no hope for what's going to happen. He says, oh Lord, our God. It changes. <laughs> you have to take that, that leap of faith that risk when there's no other hope. So the prophet Isaiah hears from God, and God answers Hezekiah's prayer. And I love when there's sweet redemption into it. So I am reading a few verses of what God says back to Hezekiah's prayer. Have you not heard? I decided this long ago. Long ago I planned it, and now I am making it happen. I planned for you to crush four to five cities into heaps of rubble. That is why their people have so little power and are so frightened and confused. But I know you well, where you stay and where you come and go. I know the way you have raged against me, and because of your raging against me and your arrogance, which I have heard from myself, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth. I will make you return by the same road on which you came. Can you imagine if that's the prayer for your enemies every time? Like, there's no hope for you, actually. <laughs> and this is what the Lord says about the king of Assyria. His armies will not enter Jerusalem. They will not even shoot an arrow at it. They will not march outside its gates with their shields, nor build banks of earth against its walls. The king will return to his own country by the same road on which he came. He, knew, he will not enter this city, says the Lord. If God knows the inner workings of the enemy... How much more does he know your heart, your life, and your cares? That night, the angel of the Lord went out to Assyria camp and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. When the surviving Assyrians woke up the next morning, they found corpses everywhere. Then King Sennacherib, thanks, of Assyria, <laughs> broke camp and returned to his own land. He went home to his capital of Nineveh and stayed there. One day, while he was worshiping in the temple of his god, Misrosh, his sons, Adremelech and Sherazar, killed him with their swords. God's word is always followed through with actions. He always follows through on his promises. This is my question to you. When is the last time you had 185,000 enemies standing at your doorstep? Hopefully never. <laughs> but bear with me and stretch your mind a little. When was, an, when was the last time you were in a season that felt threatened, hopeless, abandoned to fear? Hezekiah's battle was <laughs> with the king of Assyria. <laughs> 
<laughs> was not a quick battle. This was years in the making, watching an outside army outside your doorstep, constantly wondering, when's it going to happen? When is God going to come in? When is he going to take care of this? What does the 185,000 Assyrians look like to you? <laughs> does it look like anxiety, depression, abandonment, addiction, divorce, loss of friend, loss of relationship, or even death? This story carries significance in so many ways. We have a problem. We seek answers. We turn to Jesus and pray, do something. Let me be vulnerable with you for a moment. As I read these passages, God started to unravel a certain memory to me. Life events that showed me the journey he has taken me. I was brought back to junior year in high school, and I know exactly what you're thinking. Good grief, girl drama. <laughs> and it was all the drama. <laughs> um, this story made me think of the choices I had made in dating relationships, each one unhealthier than the next. I remembered the lies I used to believe. You're not good enough. There's something wrong with you. You're not loved. You're all alone. It's your fault. Which absolutely, sometimes it was. But you'll always be a disappointment. You deserve to be treated like that. It doesn't matter that you feel used. I went through a cycle of depression and God brought to my attention a particular night I hurt so deep I cried and yelled into my pillow, I can't do this anymore, God, I don't understand. And my exhales of pain and hurt grew longer. And a thought I remember so clearly said, it would be better if you just didn't breathe in again. And I thought, you're right. Proverbs 4.23 says, be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. Now, I obviously continue to breathe because I'm standing before you today. This may seem like silly teenage drama, but bear with me a little longer. I chose to go to another school my senior year. I couldn't take it anymore. I was a part-time student at Laconia High School. I had earned enough credits to attend one class in the morning, keep my head down, do my homework, not be seen or known. Fast forward on the timeline, 10 years. I've had four years of college, one parent death, a move to California for three years and back, two long-term relationships later, and I'm a second-year student in School of Kingdom Ministry. We're learning about Theophostics Ministry, and I've just made the choice to come out of a second long-term relationship. And Dick asked me to be the guinea pig for a Theophostics Ministry class. What could go wrong? <laughs> there are no coincidences. God's timing is everything. We start with a current feeling. And of course, I'm in a place of hurt. It stems from ending a relationship I've built for years. But it goes back further. And it gets to this place of loss. 
and disappointment and self-criticism. And what comes to mind is the picture of me in my bed crying in my pillow, feeling lost, hurt, alone, and unloved. And God brings to mind the thought I had that very moment, the lie that said it would be better if I didn't breathe in again. And immediately, my initial reaction is, (gasps) and then, of course, I bawl. What happened? What's been silent in the background of the last 10 years of my life are all those negative thoughts and lies I believed about myself. The shame, the hurt, the loneliness. And I had been holding on to... (laughs) I had been holding on to... um, What I had been holding on to was being identified and removed from my heart right then and there. Our thoughts, words, have direct connection with our physical body, soul, and spirit. God wants to clear out the lies, the fear, the anxiety, the loss that keeps us from seeing what he is doing and saying in our lives. I met the man in the second row (laughs) who is now my husband the same week I received the apostics. And when I... (laughs) Yeah! (laughs) And when I ask him, why me? He tells me he remembers a girl walking down the sidewalk of Laconia High School his senior year, and he didn't have the guts to talk to her then. But he wouldn't miss the opportunity the second time around. Had I not made the choices to leave the school I was in junior year, I don't know where I'd be. But the peace I had in that moment changed my perspective of God's planning and his timing and his detail. This was a 10-year season in my life that God was intricately involved in. Whether I was aware of it or not, he had me. He was moving the game pieces as I made choices throughout my life. The point is this. God can use your circumstances and change them for good. I recall a phrase Putty Putman from School of Kingdom Ministry had said, everything that happens is not always God's will. But God will redeem that situation. How am I on time? (laughs) We're good. (laughs) Now, I'm not saying that the end of every season and circumstance you go through, there is a spouse on the other side. (laughs) But what I am saying is this. God works outside the box outside our own understanding. He knows the choices we will make and says, there isn't a choice you can make that changes the way I love you and the destiny I have planned for you. God is so intricately involved in our drama. We just tend to see him as the person that should sovereignly fix us rather than partnering with him to work it out together. It's so easy to blame God for the results of the choices we've made and say, why are you doing this? rather than take responsibility and say, how do I do this with you? Here's the thing. God knew what was happening in Israel, and he knows what's going on in your personal life. He didn't forget that there was a constant battle. He wasn't unaware of the Assyrians' every move. He knew about the king of Assyria and, he, and the pred- 
his predecessors and the plans and attacks they had before they were even drafted. In fact, the prophet Isaiah prophesied it before it happened. In Isaiah 10, 5 through 7, before we even get to Hezekiah's story, the title is called Judgment Against Assyria. What sorrow awaits Assyria, the rod of my anger? I use it as a club to express my anger. I am sending Assyria against a godless nation, against a people with whom I'm angry. Assyria will plunder them, trampling them like dirt beneath its feet. But the king of Assyria will not understand that he is my tool. His mind does not work that way. His plan is simply to destroy, to cut down nation after nation. Shortly after this win for the kingdom of Judah, Hezekiah falls deathly ill. And I think 2 Kings 20 illustrates the best story. About that time, Hezekiah became deathly ill, and the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to visit him. He gave the king this message. This is what the Lord says. Set your affairs in order, for you are going to die. You will not recover from this illness. When Hezekiah heard this, he turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, Remember, O Lord, how I have always been faithful to you and have served you single-mindedly, always doing what pleases you. Then he broke down and wept bitterly. But before Isaiah had left the middle courtyard, this message came to him from the Lord. Go back to Hezekiah, the leader of my people. Tell him, this is what the Lord, the God of your ancestor David, says. I have heard your prayer, and I have seen your tears. I will heal you, and three days from now, you will get out of bed and go to the temple of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life. And I will rescue you in this city from the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my own honor and for the sake of my servant David. Then Isaiah said, make an ointment from figs. So Hezekiah's servant spread the ointment over the boil, and Hezekiah was recovered. First of all, this chapter jazzes me up. <laughs> Mostly because it has personal meaning to me. But Hezekiah becomes ill. You only have a few days. And he weeps bitterly to God. Do you remember who I am? That's a silly question, but I've asked the same thing. <laughs> God is moved by our relationship with him, by our words to him. He wants us to connect with him. When we are moved, he is moved. Not only does God hear him, but in verse 5, he heals him physically. But then it goes further. In verse 7, it says that he recovered Hezekiah. The difference between healing and recovering intrigued me. So, naturally, I went to the Strong's Concordance, which I've become obsessed with. And I want to give you just some examples of the differences between recovered and healed. When you're recovered, you're revived from sickness, death faintness, discouragement. It's to restore life. That is the meaning of being recovered. But to heal is to make whole. 
One of the examples it gives is healed of hurts of nations. Not only does God restore Hezekiah as a whole, mind, body, and spirit, but then he adds 15 years to his life. God wants to heal and restore us. God loves to go above and beyond for us when we ask. When he heals, he heals on all levels, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. He is a holistic healer, finding the root and taking care of us at the very atom of our existence. Um, I want to share a second testimony with you. Um, and it's all about my mother. My mother was Janet. <laughs> she is Janet. not making this easier. <laughs> she was diagnosed with non-small cell cancer in May of 2007. Initially, stage one very quickly became stage four, as it had already spread to her brain, her bones, and her lymph. She lived for two years and passed away June of 2009. I didn't doubt God's existence in that season but I doubted his goodness. He didn't seem reliable. It was always a question of where are you? Nothing was ever steady. There was always something, chemo, radiation, rapid weight loss, pain, feeding tube, shots, memory loss. Driving privileges revoked, new medication, more pain, and I remember a day she called me by another name. And I almost lost it right then and there. I didn't handle the emotional piece well. In fact, I didn't handle it at all. I swallowed it. I saved it for later when I could process it. And my anger burned and my whole body would tense. So hard to hold in the emotions I felt day after day. Even after her death, I didn't process the pain. I felt I couldn't look at it. It made me vulnerable, and I had already put up so many walls to give me control over what I could handle. I want to read a, um, a journal note that I wrote back in 2013 that shared exactly what God did for me, if I can get through it. I encountered God's grace as I have not before. He exposed my secret, one I never stated out loud. Some knew of my deep anger, frustration, and defense mechanisms. I'll deal with it later, I'd say. Later became months, years. Every exposure to weakness, to vulnerability, to anger, resentment, disappointment, I would tense, hold it, ball it up inside, and swallow it. I call these avoidances my not. It laid between my lower ribs and above my stomach, a physical mass built. All from avoided emotions. 
Every time a diagnosis result from my mom gave false hope, I swallowed. I made a deep sigh and tensed my abdomen in anger. Control became my weapon of choice. As long as I had control, I was aware of what would happen in my future. Avoidance of reality was key. I saved my, avoidion, my emotions for another day to deal with the problems I had currently. Callous became my heart towards my mother. Because a bleeding, loving heart for someone who is dying is almost unbearable. And as anger took over my emotions, it made it easier to ignore my grief, trying to escape my body and mind. But lies were revealed to me. The Lord exposed my secret to a woman named Carol Whitman. I'm sure some of you know her. I was sitting in the second row where my husband is. And we had just finished worship. And I'm sitting in deep grief, drowning, suffocating, and trying to escape from it. And it wasn't easy to keep this hidden, but it became an everyday habit. A smile, act collected, calm, brave. I acted strong and composed. It was as simple as not showing emotions holding everything in. And as the Lord revealed to Carol, she walked over to me and said, there it is. And she pointed at my stomach. And she said, you took my mother from me. And those were words that I never spoke out loud. But that is where I doubted God. He wasn't reliable. He took her. And as soon as she spoke these words and they reached my ears, my whole body gasped for air. It was as if my soul had been cut off from oxygen and my emotions were set free and released. The inner child in me and my spirit and my heart bled out cries that I had held back for over four years. I went home with truth, knowing who God was and recognizing the lie. I went home not feeling the same way I did that morning, and as I went home, I laid my hand over my stomach only to find that there was no knot. I had been healed emotionally and physically. Proverbs 4.23, I'll say it again. Be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. I believed a lie that God took my mother, and it, and it altered my whole perspective of who God was to me. This worldview perspective is a whole other preaching for another time. What does an army of 185,000 look like to you? Oh, wrong page. I'm done with that. (laughs) Did I really go through? I'm so proud of myself. I've been reading fast. 
That's awesome. <laughs> Do you have an army standing at your doorstep? Are you in a season that you need answers? Do you see your circumstances through God's eyes or through the eyes of the enemy? Do you need the Holy Spirit to search the deep secrets of God's plan for your life? I invite you to come up front for prayer, and I'd like to pray with you that God reveals his plan to you like he did for Hezekiah. Let's pray. And you can be dismissed, or you can come up for ministry. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity I've had to share my heart. I speak right now for deliverance of whatever's at our doorstep. That you will give us that bold courage to go against fear. That you will give us a bold love that overcomes every obstacle. I speak a peace to everyone that walks out this building. That your spirit searches them out. Gives them your answers. In Jesus' name, amen.